Hey, Voxers. Mike here, um, using my phone to record. Uh, we record usually on Thursdays, and, um, and then we release the podcast on Sunday night or Monday. And so this, uh, we recorded something Thursday that you're going to get um, uh, about Jesus and the culture of outrage and angry Christians. And um, this was before the Orlando shootings happened on, uh, on what is it, June 10th, 11th, 12th, something like that, whatever that Sunday is. I'm recording this that Sunday night. And we realized, hey, um, we're still going to release uh, what we recorded, but please know that it was recorded before the Orlando shootings. And one of the points that we're trying to make in the, um, in the recording is that there are, if we're outraged at everything, that we're outraged at nothing. And we need to save our outrage for things that truly matter. And this is one of those, one of those times. So just want to let you know this was recorded um, without uh, any reference to the Orlando shootings, um, because we had just, uh, even though it'll be released afterwards, uh, we'd recorded it prior to that. So listen, uh, listen to the following with that in mind. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. We're so blessed uh, to be able to do what we do. Thanks. Seismic Mike here, kind, warm, and kind-hearted Andy is uh, is here, and there is a there is a significant movement afoot to overthrow yours truly as the host of the podcast and install warm and kind-hearted and millennial-friendly Andy, and um, and so uh, from now on I have a mute button um, <laughs> that I don't see anywhere. Uh, for Andy, and um, I'm not afraid to use it. I'm not afraid <laughs> to use it. And so, so Andy's wife's name is Mercedes, and evidently there, are, uh, Mercedes has a few friends that are tuning in the podcast that are worried about Andy. And um, so, Andy, I'm 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 glad you've got some some young ladies sticking up for you. Um, and you know, I hope they like Chemex too, and mm. they're part of the millennial audience that we want to reach, of course. So. You know what the uh, the catalyst is for the turning point of a hero to fulfill a prospective vision? I don't even know what that means, but what is it? Is when people are willing to die for you. Mm. So I'm, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling moved. I'm feeling, <laughs> um, I'm feeling backed. I'm feeling. All like... right. So so I'll just be the I'll just be the the producer, right? Because the role initially, Andy, wasn't to have you as a co-host. <laughs> right. The role was, hey, can you teach me how to do this? Because, you know, I don't know how to do this. And and now the role has evolved to Mike and Andy. And then pretty soon it'll be Andy and Mike. And then pretty soon it'll just be Andy. And um, I don't know, man, that scares me. That scares me. <laughs> so so uh, wherever you are, we're so glad you are with us. Um, thank you as always for reviews and feedback and questions and comments, unless you are um, some of Mercedes friends, in which case um, you guys can uh, just bless Andy, pray for him and um, <laughs> and write reviews on iTunes about how warm and big hearted he is. 
Um, so what we want to do, Andy, I'm just, I'm just, I'm pissed off today. I just am. And there, and the reason is there is so much to be angry at today. So I'm just going to be, going to be angry. I want to talk about Jesus. I won't share why I'm angry, but I'm with you. I've got, I've got some. No, no, my, my list. I'm angry. Uh, I'm angry that you would try to trump my anger. No, no, no. Right right there. I'm supporting your anger. And I can't use the word Trump anymore without wanting to poke myself in the head. Um, <laughs> but I want to talk in all in all seriousness. Uh, that was all just kidding, Andy's friends. Um, in all seriousness, we want to talk about Jesus and the culture of outrage that exists mm. in our society. And and so so here are here's a short list of of things to be outraged about or things that we have been outraged about. Um, and, uh, and, and certainly some of these are worthy of outrage, but there's a bigger, kind of a bigger point to be made here. So, so I'm outraged about all the outrage. So I'm outraged about, um, the fact that I post this, this quote from C.S. Lewis and it's a brilliant quote and it's, it's how uh, it, it's in the screw tape letters and it's about, I, I, I saw it online. I went, oh my goodness, this is perfect. How often uh, the devil will introduce uh, errors into the world as pairs so that your dislike of one will push you to the other. Hmm. And I just thought, well, it's interesting considering the political climate. And the argument that uh, I hear conservatives making is, um, well, <laughs> Hillary, Trump at least is better than Hillary. And so you got to go with the lesser Ugh. of two evils. And so... so uh, but but what quickly broke out, of course, was the hey Bernie's the third way, oh Bernie's a socialist, oh and then and then here it comes, you know, just the, just the whatever, and uh, and so I'm outraged about that. I'm outraged about the gorilla, uh, although we've completely forgotten last week's outrage about yeah. about not only did the mom drop a boy or let the boy or whatever it was, the boy fell into this enclosure, then the zoo. Uh, kills the gorilla to protect the boy. And so the outrage, you've got outrage at the parents. You've got outrage at the zoo because it's a zoo. And and so this is a good reason to be outraged that we have zoos at all. Yeah. We have outrage that this gorilla died. Um, we have outrage. So we have outrage at the zoo officials. And then we have outrage at the people who are outraged that somehow the gorilla's life was more significant than the, the, the little kid's life, right? right? So you've got... You've got layers of outrage there. Politics, layers and layers and layers of outrage there. And then you've got this, this Brock guy who uh, is, you know, I mean, just this horrific crime um, of, of sexually assaulting or raping a young lady while she was passed out behind a dumpster or next to a dumpster or something. And then... And then um, and then tone deaf dad comes comes to the rescue with here's here's why you should go lenient on him, and um, don't ruin his life for twenty minutes of action, which uh, might be might be one of the dumbest top three dumbest things that have ever been said on planet Earth. And there's been a lot that's been dumb that's been said. I mean, that is you just go, oh my goodness. So. So now you've got white privilege, you've got rich privilege, you've got entitlement culture, you've got rape culture, you've got 
um, the, the fact that drenched in porn as we are, and the porn is not respectful of women, we're shocked when um, depraved, porn-obsessed dudes uh, just think that women now exist for their enjoyment. I mean, it, it, you just, the layers of outrage on that. And then, and then you've got, you've got outrage at how it's covered in the media. So liberal bias or conservative bias or white bias. I mean, it, it is absolutely, it is absolutely insane. And, and the, the horrific part will be next week, we'll find something new to be outraged about. And, and then the week after that, we'll find something new to be outraged about then. And, um, and, and so it is the, the, the world of news and social media is this anger monster that uh, just seems to like breed and feed on um, fear. And so it's this kind of like repetitive cycle where uh, the news reflects back the things that sell and the things that sell are the things that make us afraid or angry. Um, and, uh, and instead of refusing to, to watch those things, we only watch the things that make us fearful or angry. And so that's why the news just, I mean, so, so you, have, you have just this whole thing. And, and then you have... Jesus people, and certainly by no stretch of the imagination, all of them, or uh, or even most of them, but some of the most public of them, and some of the most um, vociferous of them, who just seem to be feeding this collective sort of, we talked about it last year, the evangelical fear complex, where we have so much that's interested in keeping us afraid of our religious liberties being taken away or the economy that's going to happen or the immigrants that are coming or the transgendered people that are going to be using our restrooms or whatever it is. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. And and what I don't see that is concerning is the, the evidence uh, on a large scale of Jesus people offering a different way, hmm. uh, very publicly offering a different way outside of outrage. And so we want to talk about we want to talk about the anger that kind of sits behind all of this stuff because um, I think you could very very clearly make a case that there are some some issues so abhorrent that anger is the only proper response right this this um, this sexual assault and the culture that sits behind it um, domestic assault. Um, it's you know, offensive that you wouldn't be angry, right? It's right happening, right, 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 right. Um, and so, so what I don't want to say is like Black Lives Matter. Um, there, at least from what I was hearing and understanding, was hey, we have to be this angry to bring attention to this. And so I'm not saying so. So as we unpack the anger of Jesus and the anger we're supposed to emulate, we're not saying that there aren't things we're supposed to be angry at. In, in fact. Um, for, for those of you who are kind of Bible fans, I mean, you know, the very famous, uh, passage where Paul says, listen, in your anger, do not sin. And that's a a quote from one of the Psalms that deals with, um, with God being angry and, 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 and David, the King at the time being angry on God's behalf at Israel for her idolatry. And, um, and so the idea, and then you look at Jesus and, and there were times that Jesus was very angry. And so we, we want to ask two questions. Who was Jesus angry at? And what did he do with his anger? What did his anger cause him to do? Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the most famous um, passages in the scriptures that deal with the anger of Jesus comes in uh, a book called Mark. There were four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And this one, Mark, is the, the shortest one. It's the most action-filled one. It's the one that seems to be at least the uh, chronological basis for um, uh, the, the timeline of the gospel accounts. Um, and, then, and then Jesus it gets into trouble. We're going to actually be talking about this at our little Vox community this week, this, uh, the, the Jesus that gets into trouble. Hmm. Um, and uh, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now, in the, in the first century, deformities like that were wrongly assumed to um, be attributed to the sin of your parents or your personal sin. Hmm. And, and the reason they assume that is in, in the Old Testament, there were these covenantal promises that were given to Israel um, as they were to obey the, the covenant that God had made with them, then things would go well. They would have children and they would be, they would be free from sickness and, and livestock would be very fertile and blah, 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 blah. When those things didn't happen, the natural question is, well, then of course somebody here is sinning. So when you had somebody with a shriveled hand, uh, the assumption was made, well, there obviously is sin there. And the, the at least later rabbis uh, made a connection between um, the shriveled hand uh, of somebody like this and what God did to a king in the Old Testament who was wrongly reaching for the throne. God caused his hand to shrivel. And so uh, the teaching was that somebody with a withered hand like this, a shriveled hand like this, had been reaching wrongly hmm. for something, and this was their punishment. All right, so the judgment was... This is a sinner, and this is a sinner who probably was reaching for something that wasn't his. All right, so a guy like this is sitting in a synagogue where Jesus is teaching. So it's the Sabbath, and as we've talked about, ad nauseum, um, I, I, I've been getting texts from people saying, please, no more spiritual abuse. If we do more talking of spiritual abuse, it will become spiritually abusive. And so, so we're not <laughs> doing that. But as we've talked about, in, in their zeal to honor God and in their zeal to deal with the Roman occupation of Israel, the Pharisees built fences around all of the commandments of the Old Testament. And those fences were other rules that were designed to keep you from breaking the big rule. And um, and, and around the Sabbath, the Sabbath command was keep the Sabbath holy, do no work on the Sabbath or rest on the Sabbath, depending on the different ways it was it was articulated. And so um, the ever helpful rabbis, because the punishment to, for breaking the Sabbath was like being cut off from Israel or death, um, they they wanted to help articulate. Okay, so so what's of the Sabbath and what's not? What's lawful? What's not lawful? So here was the ruling they made. The ruling they made was you can heal on the Sabbath as long as someone's life was in danger. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was the ruling. If their life wasn't in danger, then, then doing any medicine work, any medicinal work was considered work. Um, and so, so Jesus was there, man with a shriveled hand was there, and the, the text in Mark um, it says that some of the religious leaders were there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if they would heal, if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. Now, why would that be wrong? Is a withered hand a life emergency? Yeah. This is life is in danger with a withered hand. In this case, no. No, not even remotely. So healing in this case would be breaking one of the fences built around the law, which to the Pharisees mind was the equivalent of breaking the law itself. Okay, the fence had as equal amount of authority as the law did. 
So, I love Jesus. Jesus, the ever meek and mild, with a sheep, a baby lamb around his head. The Caucasian, blonde-haired Jesus that we have in our minds so often isn't not even close to the real one. So, this guy, this Jesus, looks to the, looks to the man. He's aware that he's being tested. And he says to the guy, stand up in front of everybody. I'm not going to do this, like, later. I'm not going to wait till the Sabbath's over. We're not going to do this in a back room somewhere. Stand up in front of everyone. And then he says to the religious leaders, which is lawful, which is permitted on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? All right, let's boil this thing down, your your 39 categories of working. Let's just, which is lawful, right? Saving or killing, doing good, doing evil. They remained silent. And then this beautiful sentence, Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out. Hand was completely restored. The Pharisees then went out and began to plot with the Herodians, which was a political party that was dedicated to Herod's rule, a lot of his family. They plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This how, this is how significant this issue was. There's the chair rocking because I'm starting to I'm starting to make points. I'm starting to get warmed up, Andy. And so what you have is you have angry Jesus, right? And, and you have other examples of angry Jesus. You've got the angry Jesus that just rebuked. We spent five weeks looking at the rebukes against the religious leaders and the scribes. I mean, and, and and in Matthew's account of this, we looked at Luke's account. In Matthew's account, it's even worse. He's calling them whitewashed tombs. He's calling them children of vipers. And I mean, like totally angry. And 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 then and then there's another instance in the book of Mark where oh that that cannot be okay, that was not that was not Mrs. Erie. That would have been hilarious. Her timing. <laughs> three weeks in a row. Her timing is uncanny. Um, so, so uh, what were we talking about? Uh, Matthew's account. Yes, Matthew's account. Yep. yes, 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 yes. So, so Jesus is angry. Uh, there was another instance, and I was going to read it, but I think, you know what? I, I don't want to do too much Bible, mm-hmm. you know, because, no, I'm kidding. Um, uh, where where it says that that people were trying to bring children to Jesus and to bless them. And the disciples said, the disciples kept them away, kept the kids away from Jesus. And you have to remember, kids back then weren't worth, culture didn't worship kids. Kids were just adults in waiting. Their mortality rate was high. And until they could help you around the farm or in your trade, they were just a drain of resources. And and, and not that there wasn't not that there wasn't affection. It's that children were never viewed as worthy of religious um, they were never viewed as being religious examples. So some children would be religiously instructed, and you can make a case that some parts of Israel, this would happen. But children were never held up as like paradigms of spirituality until Jesus does it. So anyway, they're trying to bring kids to, to, to be blessed by Jesus. Um, Jesus looks at them. Oh, doggone it. I'm going to go turn to it. Because I know what it says, Andy, but I'm just going to say it because, you know, it's the Bible. Uh, it's in Mark, I think. Chap- God forbid you misquote it. Oh, man, that happens all the time. <laughs> um, it's in Mark. Yeah. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the, the disciples rebuked the people bringing the kids. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Uh, and he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. 
Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. Now, this was just revolutionary stuff. And he took his children in his arms, but, uh, placed his hands on them and blessed them. And then you have the, the, like the, the coup de grace of Jesus's anger. It's when he cleanses the temple, very famously comes into Jerusalem in fulfillment of a, of a messianic prophecy in Zechariah. He's riding this donkey. He goes straight to the temple. He fashions a whip. He drives out the animals. He turns over tables. Um, and we would imagine he's yelling at this point. He was never violent. Jesus was never violent. He wasn't whipping the animals or whipping the money changers. Uh, but the whip was to get the animals out of the space, to 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 shut down the temple very symbolically, mm. even though it was temporarily. So it's not Indiana Jones. Like no, 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 no. This is just how you whip. Yes, no, no. This, Jesus didn't have this one wrapped around his waist or something. This was this was how you would le- you would drive the animals, and so so you have four instances. Where, where at least four, where we see Jesus is angry. One, um, it's the man with the withered hand and the religious leaders are looking to trap him. Second one is the disciples are saying, no, 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 the kids can't come to Jesus. He, 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 Jesus is indignant. The third one is when Jesus is rebuking the religious leadership of Israel around a table. And the fourth one is when he's cleansing the temple. He's turning over tables and he's driving animals out. And so you, you, you see from the life of Jesus, the anger is permissible. I mean, it very clearly says this Jesus was angry. And, um, and so, so on the one hand, we have to dismiss the meek and mild, you know, the Mr. Spock kind of emotionless Jesus. I mean, that just wasn't, isn't true at all in terms of who he really turned out to be. But our questions, our questions are what's so interesting. So who was Jesus mad at? And what did he do with his anger? All right, so who was Jesus mad at in the first instance? He was mad at the religious leaders who were looking to trap Jesus and would rather, would rather the guy with the shriveled hand live another day with the shriveled hand than see him healed in violation of their Sabbath law. It's interesting, too, that the efforts that they were making was not breaking their own laws. Correct. The efforts to kill Jesus, yeah, you mean? Or, or to trap him, like yes, to, to go through the extra right, right. effort because I'm sure that wasn't part of their normal day to day, right, or Sabbath day, right. So evidently, it's okay on the Sabbath to try to trap somebody, um, and, and and I think that's why I, I think Jesus, when he gets at to save life or to kill, and then Mark, you know, which is lawful to save life or to kill, and then Mark adds this, and then they went out and plotted how to kill Jesus. I mean, yeah, he's just right. showing. So, so who was Jesus mad at? He was mad at the religious leaders who were showing no mercy um, for the sake of their traditions. Mm-hmm. And what did he do with his anger? What did he do? In that case with the man with the shriveled hand, what did he do? Oh, he healed the man with the shriveled hand. He healed him. Right. So, so it's interesting. In this case, Jesus's anger led him to heal a man. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about the kids. Who was Jesus mad at? Uh, he was mad at his disciples. Right, who were preventing the kids from coming. Right. What did Jesus' anger lead him to do? Put his hands on the kids and bless them. Correct. So we have Jesus' anger leading to blessing and leading to healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about dinner. The dinner we just looked at for several weeks where he's rebuking Pharisees and teachers of the law. Mm-hmm. Who was he mad at? The, teachers, <laughs> the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. <laughs> right, and what did it lead him to do? Uh, show them who's invited to the table. Yes, that was part of it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That Because that conversation was actually part of a larger thing. Mm-hmm. So he's rebuking them and he's showing them who's invited to the table, but he's also publicly calling 
that injustice out right, as okay. injustice. Mm-hmm. And then the temple. Oh my goodness, the, the corruption of the temple was well known. You need to understand that the, that most Jews viewed the temple complex and the priestly service that went on there as corrupt, even though there was a profound awe and wonder and majesty attached to the temple because it had the presence of God and Herod mm-hmm. had updated it so that it was spectacular architecturally. Um, there was this deep sense that, because what would happen, what would happen, Andy, is let's say you and Mercedes... And some of Mercedes' friends um, are bringing a lamb up uh, to uh, to a uh, festival. Yeah, I was gonna say I think we need a tiny little history lesson on on what what this is because yeah. I, I think there's. I'm already there's a ahead lot of here. you. Okay. I'm already ahead of you. All right. I'm just as always. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Warm and big-hearted, Andy. Mm-hmm. And so Andy and Mercedes and Mercedes's friends are um, are bringing a lamb to Jerusalem. All right, and and according to the Old Testament, if you're going to sacrifice that lamb, it has to be spotless, perfect, ceremonially perfect. And so the way that you do that is you have to go to um, the priests and have them certify that your lamb is okay for sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've lived with an animal or raised an animal for a year or two years or whatever, three years, how and and you've been out in the countryside i mean like is it going to be pretty easy for you to find some sort of spot or defect well of course it is so what what the 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 priest would begin to do would begin to start defaulting they they would be like disqualifying the lambs that people had brought themselves and requiring that they buy new lambs that the priests had overseen and had delegated to be raised somewhere else. So, so, the, so what would happen is, Andy, you would then have to sell me, the priest, your lamb, and I would give you an undercut. It's like when you when you turn a trade in in it for a car, you yeah. never get what the car's worth. Sure, sure. So, so I would give you a smaller amount than what the lamb was worth, and then I would charge you to have to buy a new lamb. Mm-hmm. And then I would take the old lamb, I would give you the new lamb, you'd be on your way. But then the next person that would come would be bringing their lamb, I'd find fault with their lamb, and then I would just sell you the lamb you just brought me. Oh. So, right? So the priests were the equivalent of used car salesmen. Well, right? some, I mean, <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, we're guessing in terms of how, sure. how uh, corrupt this actually yeah. turned out to be. Because then you had money changers. You had to, you had to pay temple taxes mm-hmm. in a certain coinage. Uh, and so you would often have to come in. And, and so these were these were actually legitimate functions because, I mean, you it, the, the requirement was a spotless lamb. I mean, that and, and so it was legit that there were guys there selling spotless lambs and it was legit that there were money changers that were there. The problem was uh, instead of reverence and awe about the law of God, um, the law of God became an excuse to plunder and perpetuate injustice uh, and to keep the poor poor. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus comes running into this thing. And he says, you've turned it into a den of robbers when my father intends it to be a, a place of prayer for all the nations. So you're plundering the Gentiles. Because this this took place in a court called the Court of Gentiles, which is the largest court. It was where non-Jews went to worship. Hmm. And um, all of this was taking place. Oh, it happened other places too, we think. But primarily in the court of Gentile, you even if you go today to Israel, you you see the the 
uh, they have this like this model city outside the real city, and they have the replica of what the the big court temple would have looked like. And all of these sort of porticos around the side were there as marketplace stalls. So Jesus comes in, and who's he mad at? Religious leadership. Why is he mad? Because it's the same thing. It's it's rules over mercy. It's plundering. It's injustice. It's it's they're not shepherding people towards God. They're not representing God well. They're not making God beautiful. I mean, the whole thing. So, and you see it with the disciples keeping children away, the religious leaders looking to trap Jesus for a dumb Sabbath law. You see, you see it when the when he's critiquing prophetically the religious leaders that were keeping people burdened and weighed down by all these dumb sort of commandments and then you see it most extraordinarily at the temple where he symbolically shuts the thing down as a prophetic way to announce God's judgment upon it hmm. because it's that very temple that will declare him guilty right and and so anyway so who's Jesus mad at well it's fascinating the people that Jesus is mad at are the religious leaders and what's he do with his anger well, number one, he heals, he redeems, he blesses, he restores, he prophetically um, acts out judgment against the, the hypocritical and corrupt religious establishment. And, and so, so if Jesus were to come on the earth today, where would his outrage lie? Okay, okay, I want to take. I need to take one step back. Go, Andy. because because we're saying okay. So Jesus shows up in the temple, and this is this is to me in the examples we just made. This is it looks different though, because this is a physical act in which he is representing his anger by turning over tables, by you know driving out animals, by bringing an actual justice by force type of scenario where the other physical actions were soft, meek, and blessing and healing. Right. Right. So I think that's kind of where it's like, oh, well, that, that looks a lot different, though. So people are going to ask, like, okay, so how is, where's the 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 justification for us in, hold on. in that physical action? Just so that's kind hold of, on, Andy Bear. All right. All right. Andy Bear, just picture you and Mercedes and Mercedes friends with a little sheep <laughs> being taken advantage of. Yeah. And Jesus being angry. Um, let, let me get to that. Okay. Uh, but I, I've got a bigger point. I want to establish first, which is if Jesus were on the earth today, and there is much to be outraged at in in the world. Yeah. But um, if this is anything to go by, um, I don't I don't ever hear Jesus like he takes a subtle shot at one of the Herods, calls him a fox. And a fox back then wasn't a compliment, like mm-hmm. my wife is a fox, which she is. But back then, a fox was a coward. A fox was weaselly. A fox was uh, manipulative to their own benefit, to the harm of others. That was the caricature. And uh, so Jesus will take a shot at um, at Herod. Uh, but again, the Herods were the Jewish rulers. So you don't have... You don't have Jesus marching around picketing Rome. You don't have Jesus clearing out the Roman temples. You don't have Jesus critiquing the Roman government. You don't have Jesus uh, protesting against um, 
the the pagan temples that would have littered the Gentile area around the Sea of Galilee. We have no record of any of that. What we have instead is a continual display of frustration and anger, but a willingness to bless and redeem the religious leadership. Mm-hmm. And and when he comes across people who've been burdened or hurt or not shown mercy by the religious establishment. It is there that you see Jesus at his most tender and compassionate. These people are like sheep without a shepherd, he will say. Um, and and so, so you have this interesting thing. So um, who would Jesus be mad at? Well, he'd be mad at me. He'd be mad at you. He'd be mad at those of us that claim to be his. Um, as we've grown corrupt, as we've allowed injustice, as we've allowed the name of Jesus and the practice of, of Jesus following to lead us into injustice and to be unmerciful and to emphasize our rules over, you know, loving your neighbor and showing mercy and whatever else, he would be angry at, he'd be angry at me. No question about it. And, and then what would Jesus do with his anger? Well, um, there were large amounts of religious leaders who in the book of Acts, which is kind of the early, the history of the early church, we read that lots of Pharisees came to believe in this Jesus. And so Jesus would redeem, you know, Jesus would heal. Jesus would deliver people from the, the suffocating confines of, of the oral law to the freedom to love God and love neighbor as an extension of how you've been loved in Jesus. I mean, just this radical sort of reshaping of things. Um, so as I look at somebody who has anger, um, I can't help but ask those two questions about me. And I can't help but ask these two questions about Christian culture. <laughs> yeah. So let's just talk about me. So I have anger. And anger, I, I listened to a teaching years and years and years ago, and I, I totally remember him saying this. And anger is a curious thing. It's like He called it nuclear fuel for the soul. Hmm. And, and I think what he meant by that is that when people are angry, you're never tired when you're angry. Like um, um, you're sick and tired, but you can never be angry and tired. Like anger, your adrenaline yeah. is pumping. You, you, um, uh, your, your mind is fully engaged. Um, like your heart's beating faster. And, and if Science Mike were here, I'm sure he'd give us all the wonderful things that are oh, firing up in I, your yeah, I had, I amygdala. Recently, he, talked to, he talked to a couple people about it recently. He had some cool thoughts. New, and neural cortex and the cerebellum. And um, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted if I if I were a country singer, I would name my band Lady Cerebellum, mm, okay. and just see what and see what that was about like. A bunch of science. Yes, okay. <coughs> exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> hello, random. So, so, so Jesus was mad at religious leaders um, for their for their hypocrisy, their lack of love, their lack of mercy, blah blah blah. Um, he was, uh, and that led him to. To show mercy, it led him to heal, it led him to bless, it led him to prof- prophetically demonstrate against, you know, the religious leadership. Okay, so Mike Erie, what am I angry at? Oh, well, I'm angry at people that get angry all the time and that are outraged. So I'm outraged at all of the outrage. Um, I'm angry at, um, I'm angry at the judges and, uh, and, and by doing that, I become one of them. Um, I'm angry when when there's when I can't find a parking space. Hmm. Like when there's not enough. If somebody has not provided enough parking for me, I get 
I, and I have to circle and stalk somebody, that I'll actually just drive away at that point. Like I don't care. It's too much work. I'm done. I don't want. I don't want. I don't want to spend half an hour looking for parking place. You know what I'm saying? I hate it. Hmm. I get angry. <coughs> Excuse me. I get angry um, uh, uh, at speed limits and red lights, and I get angry. So, so I get angry at all of these dumb things. If anger isn't a sin, at least by itself, when does it become sinful? Well, I think it becomes sinful when it's who we're angry at, what has caused the anger, and what we do with it. What does my anger do? So, so years ago, someone almost killed us. We were pulling out from a, a parking lot, and a big old truck came barreling through a clear red light. Like, like it had to be ten seconds after the light turned, and um, going 35, 50 miles an hour. I mean, enough that would have smashed us to bits. Um, and we were pulling out to make a left turn, and he was coming. And and had my wife not kind of delayed a little bit and not seen the light turn right away, I mean, we would have just been smashed. And I was so, I was so angry when this person made it to the next light and and was waiting there. I actually got out of our little minivan and and tried to chase him down. And so I'm running and I'm huffing and I'm puffing because I'm a gazelle. And um and I, I and it dawns on me. I'm like, well, um. What am I doing? Like, what, what, what are you going to do when you get there? Right. What am I going to? Am I going to? Am I going to use a bad word? You know, am I going to call them just you're you're just nerf herders? I mean, what am I? What what is the point of this whole exercise? I'm going to pull them out of their car. I mean, I don't I don't even know. I wasn't even thinking at that right, but I had nuclear fuel. Right. And you don't think when you're angry. All your blood goes to the back Sci- of your see, brain. Science All Mike. the logic goes away in the right? front of the brain. So seismic Mike. Can can validate science, Mike's science on on these mm-hmm. sorts of things, mm-hmm. but but so so it's interesting. My anger causes me to be impatient, to be short, to be to punish, to want to get back at somebody. Jesus's anger is an, of an of an entirely different sort, and so um, so one of the questions we just want to ra- raise is okay. Here's here's all the problems I see with our outrage culture. Um, first, who it's directed at. And, and I'm not saying, man, deep systemic race issues or deep systemic sexual uh, hypocrisy or injustice. I mean, like this Brock dude. No, that's worthy of outrage. I'm not saying anything about that. I mean, we, so, many of our, so many of us are continually outraged because it's fuel. It does something to us. It gives us a sense of life that as long as we're outraged about something, you know, it, it kind of keeps us keeps us engaged in the world and it provides energy. Mm. Um, it, it seems like some of us are outraged uh, perpetually because that is the way we separate and announce the world we're separated from sinners, right? If I'm if I'm not outraged by the sin of like non Christian people, then somehow. I'm not a, I, I'm, I'm too much of a compromiser, right? So I've got to be outraged because that shows the world I'm not like them, you know, kind of thing. Um, it, it seems like one of the problems of, um, of, of kind of the outrage culture, at least as it's expressed among our uh, Jesus following community, is James has this great line in the book of James. He says, you know, be slow be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry, because human anger does not bring about the righteousness God desires. So what does my anger bring about? What does all the shouting on the internet bring about? Does it bring about healing? Does it bring about restoration? Does it bring about redemption? What does it bring about? 
if it, if anything, it just brings about more anger, right? And and I'm again not talking about the deep like the deep issues that that need to be addressed. I think that anger is a good. That's the prophetic cleansing of the temple that needs to happen. I'm talking about all of the petty anger yeah. that just spills over in normal human interactions when we drive, when we're online, in email, at work, and our families. I mean, all of that. See, the problem is when you're outraged and angry about everything, you're outraged about nothing. See, I think Jesus saved his outrage for something mm-hmm. that was worthy of the target, of its target. And, 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 um, and when we're outraged at... Um, uh, the tiny things, the petty things, the dumb things, the silly things. We don't have, we lose our, we lose any ability to speak prophetically against culture on the big things mm-hmm. because now we're just angry people. And it seems like, it seems like, and again, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm generalizing, but um, it, it seems like there is some sort of pride in how angry we are against Hillary, against Donald, against whatever. It's like, like uh, I'm showing I belong to a certain tribe because I'm angry against this person. And if I'm not angry enough against Trump, then mm. all of the people angry against Trump um, will be suspicious of me. And if I'm, I'm angry against Bernie, um, you know, I, there's this, there's this, it's almost like a litmus test now. If I'm not outraged to the same level everyone else is, then uh, I'm not part of the club. And so it, the anger has just assumed this place in society disproportionate to um, uh, the worthiness of its target and the worthiness of what it brings about its results. Because human anger doesn't bring about the righteousness God desires. So what were you going to say? Did, were you going to say something? Okay, I thought I saw... I'm having, I mean, I'm having lots of thoughts. It's, 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 it's a great topic. It's really... Yeah. I mean, because I'm, what I'm thinking, things I'm thinking about, you know, is like, you know, anger that is a result of tension. We could look at that as, you know, kind of inappropriate anger, anger that changes our orientation, orientation to resolve tension that right. actually brings about justice and compassion yeah. is, is just to me are signs of like that kind of energy that's coming from that can be validated and can be valued. But if it's, if ultimately the intention is to disenfranchise a different person for the sake of it, right. Then, then clearly that action's wrong. So how much, how much of anger that, and I don't mean the big stuff. I mean, just the petty stuff. Sure. How much of anger is built around self? My rights have been violated. My um, entitlements have been, you know, uh, thwarted. My will has been interrupted. My desires now are unfulfilled. I mean, how much, how much of that is just the like, m- like the meat and potatoes of human anger. Like mm-hmm. I've never met anybody who didn't think their anger was righteous. Right. Yeah. So we're all full of righteous anger yeah. uh, because it's, we're the judges of our own anger. And we think, well, of course I have every right to be angry here. Right. Um, and so you have, you have this interesting thing in the scriptures where um, anger, like be slow to be angry. You've got Jesus talking about, you know, he, he says, you've heard it you know, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I tell you anger and contempt are the real issues. Because mm. mur- that's where murder starts, of course. Right. So you can go around not murdering and still be rotten on the inside. Sure. Um, and, and and so you've got, you've got a very clear denunciation of some forms of anger. And then you've got Jesus practicing a form of anger that you can, you can easily co-opt 
to justify. Well, Jesus was angry, and so so you have this right. two. You have this. You have people who think to be to to be Christian means you're never angry. Well, that's not true. And then you have people on the other side who think to be Christian is just to be angry all the time. Mm-hmm. But who was Jesus angry at? And what did he do with his anger? Those are the two questions you got to keep coming back to. So who was Jesus angry at? The religious leadership um, and, and the religious people who did not show mercy and who elevated their traditions over others and blah, 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 blah. And what did he do? He healed. He blessed. He so translate it to Mike. What, what am I angry at? Petty stuff. Um, and so I, when I look at an issue like this, I think, okay, so what what would Jesus be angry at in our in our world? Uh, and no question, some of the systemic evil, no question about that. But Jesus didn't parade around critiquing all the pagan and Roman stuff around him. He critiqued the the Jewish, the people of God. And I can't help but think it would be the same way today. That, you know, we spend all of our outrage on, on people that aren't covenant of Jesus people. And Jesus would have spent most of his outrage, I think, on people who are covenant of Jesus right. people. And and so, so because you, you think about it, and, and this is a worthy little, like, little rabbit trail, but Jesus had prophetic permission to speak this way to Pharisees and religious leaders, right? God was constantly providing prophets. Right to point out the injustice and the ways and, and the religious abuse and, and all of those sorts of things. And so Jesus comes in that tradition saying, you know, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And and, and many other things that he says to to Jewish leaders and to, to some who just rejected him outright. Because he had a covenantal basis to do so. And, and again, covenant, we talk a lot about covenant versus contract. A contract is a legal agreement um, based on self-interest. So, so I provide this to you. You provide this to me. We're as long as it's mutually beneficial, we're contractually uh, engaged. Um, covenant. There were two kinds of covenants. There were um, unilateral covenants or unconditional covenants. So God just says to Abram, "Dude, I'm going to bless you." End of story. That's just going to happen. But then you have conditional covenants, and Israel staying in the promised land was a conditional covenant. And so, hey, if you um, if you obey, if you honor your part of the covenant, then you will be blessed in the land. If you do not, you will be expelled from the land. And that was something called the exile that happened to, to the nation of Israel over a couple hundred years. So as part of the covenantal agreement, God provided critique <laughs> um, and, uh, and prophets to do so. And, and obviously one of Jesus's critiques back was, well, you killed the prophets God sent. Yeah. And here I am, his own son, you're about ready to kill too. So, so Jesus had a covenantal basis to hold those people accountable. The reason he didn't go marching to Pilate or um, to, to uh, the, the pagan courts and temples was there was no covenantal basis. Now, as Lord of the universe, he certainly could have. Right? Yeah. No question. Yeah. As it, he created it all, it's all for him. He could have very easily done that. But imagine, imagine a scenario where you're in a restaurant eating pork and a Muslim comes up to you and objects to your eating pork in a public restaurant because the Quran says you can't. Yeah. What are you going to say? I'm going to say, well, this is America. 
and I can do and I can America. Do it. it is America, and I can do what I want. Right, <laughs> land of the free. Yes, yes. <laughs> I but, mean, yeah, I get, but, you, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you, but you'd say something like, "Well, I don't, well, I don't, I believe don't, in the I don't Quran. follow the Quran." Right. So, no, I, I so, don't abide by that. Sorry, you're offended. Right, but I don't abide by that. Right. So when so much of our outrage from the Christian community is directed to people. Who and we have no covenantal basis to do so. These aren't people that have said, "Yeah, I want to follow the teachings of Jesus." Right. What What we've done is, first of all, we've robbed um, the ability of of many people outside the Christian community to hear whatever good news we want to say. Secondly, we've taken I think the, we've taken the focus off of our sin and put it elsewhere, which Jesus clearly calls out. The sin of others is a speck of dust. My sin is a two by four. We've engaged in the judgment that Jesus rules out uh, unequivocally, but and the and the biggest thing um, is is as long as we're outraged at somebody else, we never have to deal with our own sin, our own failure, yeah. our own mistakes, our own junk. Right. As long as you play victim, you don't have to have any responsibility. Absolutely, and 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 often like there's some of the victim playing going on. We're losing our rights. We're a cultural minority. But there, there's, there are other things where people are being victimized by us uh, in the name of our Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you see this dynamic and you're just going, my goodness, Jesus wasn't picketing. You know, and, and, the, and the comeback is, well, I mean, this is a democracy and Jesus would get a vote. Yep, absolutely. But how much time, I mean, how much time do you really think Jesus would be spending on the presidential election? I just don't, I don't think there'd be much. I just don't think there'd be much. It matters. It's important. We should be active. But the amount of heat attached to this is so un-Jesus-like. It's as if the hope of the world rests on whether it's Donald or Bernie or Hillary. And you just go, no, it just, our idolatry is showing. Yeah. Right now. And it feel like, I've been sitting in this for the past month thinking about this. I'm like, man, I, I feel like... Maybe for one one of the many times, but a very clear time, like I feel like we look so much more like Israel did in the Old Testament in that way, wanting a king, wanting a judge. We need to mm. we need a figurehead to put in place to take care of us. And God, the whole time is like, I'm going to take care of you. You want me to take care of you? And he's like, Fine, 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 right, fine. You know, and, and it's kind of like you you know that's just it. You know, Jesus comes and reorients us back to that anyway. Give to Caesar what Caesar's, you know, and then but you know I'm giving you this life instead. But like you follow those laws and abide by those laws. However, you know this is this is my kingdom and how what it looks like to live in my kingdom. Yeah, and and like we've said, Jesus Jesus's kingdom is political. Yeah, I mean there there is one Lord, right? According yeah. to Jesus, and that's Him. Yeah, and any other claimants are automatically disqualified for that throne. But there's also a sense in which having Jesus as, as Lord makes us excellent citizens. Right, mm-hmm. we should be politically engaged. We should be politically active. But the outrage, man, the outrage, um, is is just it's so it's like um, I, I liken it to compassion fatigue, mm-hmm. because social media lets me know of every need of everywhere, and and, and I I just finally have to shut it down. It's I mm-hmm. cannot. I cannot give money to everything. I cannot feel compassion for everything. I just, I only have a little bit and, and, and Lord willing, it grows more, but I'm so tired of uh, being bombarded with, you know, mm-hmm. more things to be uh, sad about and sure. more horrific things to just be afraid of. And in the same way, I just, I'm so tired of, of, of more things to be afraid of yeah. and more things to be angry at. 
yeah. uh, when it comes to the kind of the outrage culture we live in. And so those who've been victimized by white culture, Christian culture, whatever, will say, well, you, you know, this sounds very dangerously like just trying to silence us. And, and no, I'm not sure. Again, if you're a Jesus follower, the, the invitation is to live the way he lived and to follow him into this life with all of its ambiguities and craziness, seeking to love what he loved, be sad at what made him sad, be angry at what made him angry, and to, and to be in a small way um, a reflection of good news to the world, yeah. even as we are in process ourselves. So it's never going to be done perfectly. That's part of the good news is none of us have to ever be cleaned up, you know, before we embark on the adventure. But there is this other sense I, I get where we, we show our, our true ugliness um, when, when outrage is constantly pouring forth from the Christian community. Mm-hmm. And very often, very often, not always, sometimes it's directed at things that are worthy of it. But very often it's directed at, at people who, or, or or organizations who have no, there, there's no covenantal agreement that they're mm-hmm. <laughs> intending to do anything other than make money in their business or or to follow their own self-interest, right? I mean, and so you have, you just, what who was Jesus mad at? He'd be mad at us. What would he do? Well, I think he'd call us out. I think yeah. he'd prophetically call us out. And in so doing, bring about healing and blessing and restoration for those of us who had, as in his words, ears to hear the calling out. And so so I was just, I mean, I've been following the gorilla story and this Brock story, and they and they make me angry and they break my heart. I mean, the gorilla story, not so much. Um, <laughs> the, but the Brock story, I just, I mean, you know, you just want to go punch this That's guy and yeah. And, and, you know, um, my wife experienced, um, so she, and she shared this publicly, so this isn't, I mean, but she was date raped when she was in college and, you know, I have, I have a very, as somebody who is large, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind, um, being the guy that you know, punches those people. I, I could just be the, I, I'll, I'll volunteer to be the selective puncher um, for, for these sorts of, of dudes. Um, and as I, and as I raise my son, you know, who's, who's almost 13 and we're talking now about, okay, what it means to be a young man and what it means, how, what it means to, to treat women well and, you know, blah, 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 blah. All of this stuff is hitting at a, at a very tender spot in me. Mm. So yes, angry, outraged, but what's my anger and outrage do, yeah. right? I mean, in this instance, okay, I'm angry and outraged. I, does the, does adding my voice, and I hope, I mean, because there are petitions and other things, does this help? Does this help bring light to a place that's been dark? Excellent, excellent. That's worthy. Um, but but very often, next week we'll be outraged about something else, and it just gets. A long list of oh yeah, do you remember when that person did that crazy thing? Or you remember when that person said that thing? Or and 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 then we get to to, to the end of 2016, we have a year in review, and we're like oh yeah, and we forget all the stuff that we were terribly angry at. And so my encouragement is, let's be angry like Jesus. All right, who who was Jesus angry at? And what did Jesus do? May Andy, may our anger um, be directed well, and may it lead to restoration and to healing. Because wouldn't that be beautiful? Yeah. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And you hear stories 
of like the 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 parents or the children or the siblings of victims who now go and and something beautiful is created out of that mm-hmm. out of that hardship yeah. and you can imagine I me mean, i i can't and i obviously don't know much about martin luther king jr but i imagine there was a fire in him and almost a like um like mother teresa i mean there there had to be an anger just a, a we will not let this go mm-hmm. anymore and yet what they did with that is so unbelievable i mean i cannot imagine um what it would have been like for him to see you know dogs being loosed on black people and uh hoses being unleashed on black people mm-hmm. and you know, black students having to have armed guards as they go yeah. into white schools. I cannot even imagine the temptation to violence must have been overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And yet there's these, um, there's these funny conversations that happen every now and then with my wife and I, cause her name's Mercedes. Mercedes. She has friends who think yeah. I mean, and, and we'll be, we'll be in different group scenarios and whatever it will be in, uh, you know, uh, so she's half black, half Peruvian. And, you know, some people like joke and say like, oh, wouldn't it be great to go back to the 50s and the 60s and, and like live that way? And she's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> totally. You know, I mean, it's funny how this day and age that it's so easy, like in white privilege to think like the picture that we have of our history is just so completely different, well, you yes. know, yes. And, it, and, it, and it fuels it's like that's the stuff that then fuels that tension and mm. fuels that anger. And it's so un- it's like this massive unawareness to the culture context that's around. It. It's like, hey, let's remember when America was a Christian nation. Yeah, like what when we were introducing plague to the Native Americans, when we were robbing <laughs> them of land, when we didn't allow women to vote when black people were considered second-class citizens, yeah. I mean, what when slavery was was justified by the Bible? What Christian America are we talking about? Right, right. I, and I'm and I'm thrilled to live in America. I mean, my goodness, as systems of the world go, this has got to be the best yeah, system of the world. We live in a great system. We live in a great system. But to say that that you know, hey, we just it, all it takes is prayer in schools, and you know, it, and you can overlook. All of the ways, and and part of the 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 beautiful thing that God is doing through the younger generations right now is shedding light on all of these dark spaces. Mm-hmm. And you just go, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have carried these sensitivities ten years ago. No way. There's no way I would have carried these mm-hmm. sensitivities mm-hmm. Uh, ten years ago. And so, so I, I love the I love the phrase woke. Right, yeah, because because that's what it I've is. I've been hearing that lately. I it's, like it. That's what it is. It's like, oh yes, I I okay. I really, as a white man who's heterosexual and Christian, like there's a there's a package that comes with that that I never realized came mm. with that. You yeah. know that you just have to at least acknowledge or try to work hard to overcome or whatever. And it's not and 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 yes, political correctness can take it too far. For sure, mm-hmm. um, but but there's another sense in which you know I'm glad I'm glad some of these blind spots. I mean, rape culture uh, needs to be called out. Even even in Christian circles, so much of this is is validated by the wives submit to your husband's thing. Sure, you know, and the husbands are there to meet the needs of, or the wives are there to meet the needs of the husbands and whatever else. And you're just going, my lord, we've just provided a theological veneer for this awfulness. 
So, so the, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure people are going to be outraged at, at this um, because it is, it's kind of a, mera- a meandering sort of stream of thought, but I at least wanted to raise as I was watching and I've taught on a couple of these passages before, as I was watching uh, our world and my reaction to it over the last several weeks, I'm just going, man, What's all this anger doing? Some of it's good, some of it's holy, some of it's righteous, some of it's needed, some of it's provoking justice, some of it's fighting injustice. And then there's just a whole lot that it seems like people are looking for a fight because they're not in a big one. So they Mm -hmm. just settle for small ones. Right. Well, I I think the other temptation is that we're still in the mix of a social culture that's trying to get everyone to buy in and jump on the bandwagon. So it's like if I'm not if I'm not tweeting, if I'm not posting a status post about this stuff, then I'm not socially aware of what's happening. That was my point. That's a litmus right, test. Right. Like even the voting thing, like everyone's posting their vote. I voted, right. I voted, I voted, I voted. I'm just like, I'm just not even gonna post. Right. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like Yep. And? Yep. And and Absolutely. It, you know, I, I heard a great quote um, not so long ago, and I, I can't remember the lady who said it, and I thought it was great. It was, um, press into conflict because on the other side is transformation. Hmm. And it's interesting because the way we're, we're bringing this is like we're observing the anger. But then it's like we could just say, okay, well, everyone else is angry, so I feel justified to be angry with them. Because, right. you know, that's that's a natural draw and a temptation we have. But to look at it this way, what you've what you've shown, who are we angry at and what are we going to do with it? Right. And, and with the expectation that by by asking those questions, exploring that for ourselves, we will be changed out of it. See, and we can't ignore it. it. That's it. See, so so here's there have been a couple of times, Andy, where it's been good, where I've actually tasted the good kind of anger mm. and the transformative effect that like being angry with Jesus at something is beautiful. Yeah. One is with uh, Seth. Right, and so yeah. Seth has Down syndrome. Uh, Andy has adopted a, a sweet Seth's future bride. Quit <laughs> laughing! Quit laughing! Every time you laugh, and you haven't agreed, and I know you haven't agreed. So if you think I'm not listen, nice I, now, <laughs> listen, I don't care about any other people who may have claim, prior claims. Okay, <laughs> we've got claims out there too. We've got we've got at least at least three or four families okay. that are putting in their hats here. I'm getting as a, as a dad of a beautiful daughter yeah. who's working on an arranged marriage. I've got options. Right. Well, <laughs> just remember who employs you. All right. I'll give you less options here in a second. Now, the uh, so so you know the 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 culture that exists very that is very real in our world that says you should abort these these children in utero should abort them um you should abandon them you should give them up and and in some cases adoption really is the best thing in some cases it really really is i'm not speaking against that but there is a deep sense um of uh they're not worthy they're not fit for they're not normal um and uh and when, when, you know, and I was part of that, when we first got the diagnosis with Seth, I was upset. You know, I was like, oh, this sounds like a sentence. You know, this sounds like, cause you don't graduate from this, you know, he's always going to have this. And, uh, and, and how beautifully my, my assumptions have been, you know, like rebuked, transformed, and to the point where out of anger, I joyfully talk about him all the time. I let him dance when in in front of church people um i i love i love showing him off and my prayer for him has changed so much from god i pray he would just be smart to 
God, I just pray that you would give me the grace and wisdom to show him off well mm. and to show off how beautiful you are mm. to have blessed our family with this guy. And, and But there was an anger. There was an, a settled antagonism towards everything that wants to define human life in terms of efficiency and effectiveness and, and popularity. And I just want to go, F you, F you, F you. And the way I do that is just by showing Sefi off. And I'm like, deal with this. You know, same thing with sunflowers. Yeah. Deal with this. Really? You don't want this in the world? Really? Yeah. Really? That's right. The other time. Uh, it was when I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And um, I remember I was in college. I was studying finance. I was an investment banker for some years after college. And I was watching, uh, I think it was called Real Time with Bill Maher. And this was back, man, 90s. I mean, you, you weren't even alive yet. And, and when coffee... I, I, just for the record, I was. When but... coffee was coffee and jeans were jeans and beer was beer. Yeah, we we're at the height of like the manufacturing industry. So yes. All, all of it was garbage anyway. Yes, it was beautiful. <laughs> it's when America was great. Um, when Donald Trump was merely a... Hotel owner. You're right. <laughs> um, and Hillary was just a first lady. Uh, and Bernie was probably 80. He was probably 80 back then. Well, it's funny. Just a first lady is no small accomplishment, I know, accomplishment I know, seriously, by the way. <laughs> I, seriously. Um, so, so I was watching the show. And, and, and Bill, of course, is an is a articulate, funny, very outspoken atheist and uh, antagonist of religious people. And, um, and, and it seemed like, and I don't even remember if this is an accurate depiction, but it seemed like he would put people on his show who didn't know how to answer any of the questions. Um, and he would just continually badger them either into anger or silence or submission, or they just, they just looked, you know, whatever. And I remember, um, I remember being so angry, not because I knew a whole bunch, but because I, I was learning, I was in the middle of learning that there were answers to some of these things and you didn't have to be an idiot to believe it and that you could be winsome and gracious and funny and normal. Um, and, uh, and I thought, you know, I'll never get on a show like that. But I, I decided to go to grad school in philosophy of religion. I decided that um, I wanted to do the hard inner work that if I were ever, if I ever had a microphone shoved in front of me, Andy, like right now, <laughs> hopefully, prayerfully, may, may it be so that I would have something to say that would be gracious, kind, excuse me, angry in the right ways um, and not angry in the wrong ways. And, and, uh, and, and so like for me, those are two examples where the good kind of anger fostered something that that turned out to be good there was there was fruit from yeah that right so i i think for me the thing that changed for me are those two questions who was he yeah. angry at and what did he do with his anger yeah and 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 the realization that as a follower of jesus anger was was a, a welcome part of the conversation yeah you know that that and then and then i mean if we really wanted to get cray cray as my kids say um, and then you go, and it's really good that Jesus was angry. And, mm -hmm. and in that sense, it's really good that God is angry. Mm -hmm. um, because if, if God was indifferent to human suffering, if God was indifferent to injustice, if God was indifferent, I, I could not 
trust, love, devote myself to such a being, right? But what you have instead is you have a God who is in a, in a settled manner antagonistic to evil in all of its forms. And so when you look at the Holocaust, um, could you imagine saying something like, yeah, you know, it, it, was, it sucked if you were part of it. Um, and, you know, it'll all turn out okay in the end, you know? <laughs> oh Just totally indifferent, you know? <laughs> I mean, is that good news? Is that good news to anybody? Or is good news like, no, that tragic evil... Like there's a reckoning that will come. There's yeah. a fire that will not hell, but there's a fire that will burn away, you know, yeah. and and refine the world so that all of this stuff is dealt with once and for all. And so, so I'm kind of like, yeah, I, 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 there are times I can get on board with a God who hates injustice, a God who hates hypocrisy, you know, knowing that I'm guilty of everything. Right. So interesting stuff, Andy. Yeah. Interesting stuff. How long we go? Great stuff. How long we go? We're over an hour. Little All right. By a little bit. We better wrap it up. Okay. Because we're we're doubling we're we're doubling here the time that my my friend said, you know, we were good. So <laughs> your one your one friend and my one friend. Yeah, one friend. I got five friends online that have all said that they like it longer. Well, they're probably Mercedes friends. And Great. they also say so. they also say they're my friends now. Yeah, yes, as they should be. <laughs> my goal is just to win them over, Andy. Yeah, my goal is just to win them. Andy, you are very nice. Let me let me uh, take a, a quick quick moment to bless my wife for, for her. Um, a couple days ago, she showed a great response to anger that turned into a wonderful blessing. What to you? No. So oh. there was a circumstance. I won't go into much detail to not point anyone out. Um, but there was a circumstance in which she was referred to as colored. <laughs> okay a couple days ago oh no and it's like the oh. the message that she wanted to write back uh to this person i mean when she's writing it she's just like i yeah. cannot believe that someone it still exists still right that that language even still exists in her own peers like uh. it was just like are you kidding me right and she immediately transitions to but it's because it's tied into a reference to sunflower as, as like hey I, I saw you two somewhere right. and, they, and then somehow that was it, it was so relevant to the conversation but it was mentioned and so she's like hey for a mother of a child with down syndrome and and it, as someone who's colored color, she's like you know we consider ourselves educators so she's like let me help explain that you know for one a person who is handicapped is a person with the disability so it's a person first not um, Down syndrome sunflower. It's sunflower who has Down syndrome. Right, right. And furthermore, she's just like, you know, and obviously that terminology is not is like appropriate. <laughs> it's completely derogatory and rude. And so, but it's it transitioned her to an honest conversation in which then she, the other person came back and said like, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean any harm by that, and and realized, oh, good. you know, and instantly realized like, wow, that was like, oh my god, goodness, I didn't even really think about that. But she could have usually jumped on the bandwagon oh, yeah. and been just like, you see, this is what this world is all about. Look, we're still using this vocabulary and this terminology, not even written her back, not even engaged into be, trying to educate this scenario, yep. but just maintained in anger and just existed in the world as someone yeah. standing up against it. So, I mean, yep. that was, to me, was such a wonderful picture of grace and yes. I thought she handled that so well and I was so That's proud of her. That's beautiful. Good job, Mercedes. Yeah. And um, my wife said something similar with the word retarded. Yeah. So yep. that one's when, up there. When you hear that word and you're walking around with a little Cephi and you're just like, hmm, let me show you, let me introduce you 
mm-hmm. to somebody who you would refer to as retarded. And let's see if you want to use that word when you're looking at him. Right. Boom. Super fast educational moment with that word. It was a, a, an official medical term for a very long time. Yeah. And it was actually in Obama's presidency that he actually had it removed from the, the medical vocabulary to not actually be a, a word that is used. So it is clearly 100% a derogatory term Thanks, now. Obama. It's no longer even appropriate in any manner. And the funniest thing was... So are it, you saying Obama did something good? I am saying Obama did something good. He did a handful of things well. Wow. It's actually, and we've actually seen the terminology used still in some handbooks that are out there that yeah. we see. So it's, you know, it's it's making its way out, but that's actually, that is a more recent thing. So if you're out there using that word as a funny thing, it's incredibly derogatory, no different than using the word colored or any other kind of person. What naming. about fat? Yeah. What about bald? Yep. What about, because uh, I use those mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. when I look in the mirror. <sighs> all right. All right. We got to wrap this We're up. We're done. Put a fork in us. So, um, if anyone responds to us in outrage, we'll, uh, what will we do? We're going to ask, who are you mad at? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and what will you do with your <laughs> anger? What will you do with your anger? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Listen, um, may, the, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. We're so very grateful to be a part of your life. Thank you for listening and reviewing and asking and uh, emailing. And um, this has just been an incredible thing for us. So we we always pray. We Sorry, atheists. We pray for this, that God um, would, uh, would use this in some way, shape, or form to help the conversation along. So uh, to that extent, we hope it's been beneficial or at least... Uh, it's put you to sleep quickly. Hmm. So, hmm. it's over now. You can wake up. Yes, wake up. When I when I count to three and say "yellow giraffe," you will you will get up and believe uh, in Jesus. Yes, one, two, three, yellow giraffe. Bye. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Erie for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.